So Money is brought to you by CNET, the site that shows how to navigate change all around us. So Money episode 1416, Ask Farnoosh. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Karabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. Welcome to So Money, everybody. I'm Farnoosh Tarabi, September 30th, 2022. Wasn't I just talking about how I couldn't wait for the September month to start? And now it's over. You know, I've got this trip to France coming up. I've got family coming over for Thanksgiving. There's the holidays. We're going to San Diego. I'm basically giving you my whole itinerary in case you wanted to come rob me. Uh, <laughs> I worry about that sometimes, putting too much information out there. All this to say that I'm pretty overwhelmed right now, just have a lot on our plates. And I wanted to address kind of like the mental health component of managing our money this week uh, in my weekly column on CNET, my hot mic column. You know, financial FOMO is a real thing. We all have FOMO, right? Fear of missing out. It's partly why I'm going to Paris. But FOMO, as it applies to our financial lives, ever thought of that, that maybe your perspective pursuing a certain way of budgeting, a certain way of spending, earning, side hustling, because that's what you see running rampant on the social media because your friends are doing it, because Instagram tells you if you're not doing it this way, you're a financial loser. I was inspired to write about this, one, because it just naturally comes up on the podcast. In case you missed this week's shows, we talk about financial FOMO with our guest, Chantelle Chapman. She was here on Wednesday talking about healing from the trauma of money and how to know if you have a traumatic experience that is now impacting your perception of money, your relationship with money, if you had financial trauma or any trauma in your life, that could be what's transpiring. And it's not that you're bad with money or you don't have financial literacy. It could just be that, you know, you've had some bad experiences that have gone unaddressed that are now showing up in your money life. So Chantal comes on the show, talks about financial FOMO and financial trauma. I'm watching this documentary on Netflix called Get Smart with Money. Pretty good documentary. I recommend it. It follows four people in America going through various money challenges, then brings in four money coaches to help each of these people, and in one case, a household with their financial problems. Um, and there was one family in particular where the mom is, is the sole income earner in the household. She runs like a, she's a psychotherapist, works from home. Dad's a stay-at-home dad, two small kids living in Colorado. And you know, high income, three hundred thousand dollars a year, but they're all their expenses are also matching up to that, and they're just worried that they're never going to really be able to leverage this income and save and invest and do all the important things. So, walk in, Mister Must, Mister Money Mustache. He's been on this show. He's a friend of So Money. Um, he's like the OG of the FIRE movement, financial independence, retire early. That whole movement that classically is about saving as much money, being frugal, investing as much as you can to be able to retire early and not be tethered to a nine to five. So he comes into the scene. He's like, hey, ever heard of FIRE? I think you should do this. And the family prescribes to it. And pretty soon, like they're selling their house and I'm like, wait, 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 wait. Did we just decide to take on a major financial ambition without really thinking it through? We see this 
example in Mr. Money Mustache. He's retired. He's got a lot of time now and he seems really relaxed. We want that. We want that. And I get it. Like there's nothing to not like about retiring early. I want that for myself. But I also really love my career and I don't consider my work a drag which is a complete privilege. And so perhaps the first thing you should do before you consider the fire movement is to evaluate your career. And maybe the career is what needs to get fixed and not so much your whole rearrangement of your financial life. But that being said, all of this is, I'm watching it, I'm hearing it, and I'm like, okay, enough. I wanna talk about financial anxiety and FOMO, doing things that we feel like we gotta do because it's what the cool kids are doing with their money. And I'm here to tell you, You don't have to do it that way. You can work at a job for 35 years if you want to. Save slowly, invest slowly, you know, live below your means, but save 30, 50% of your income. That's really hard to do. The average income, the median income in this country is about $60,000. And I don't have to tell you how hard it is to live off $60,000 a year, let alone a minimum wage job. So they talk about saving a million dollars by your 40s. That's really hard. And I don't want money to be hard for people. I want money to be this thing that they really appreciate, they see as a tool. They know it's gonna take work, but they don't wanna approach it begrudgingly. And that's what can happen when you fall into the trap of financial FOMO. And I'm using FIRE as an example in my article is like this you know, really big movement. It's a real clear example of having a lot of followers. Some of them maybe don't need to be doing FIRE. They just need to be budgeting better or finding a better job or just turning off social media altogether. But the trap that we can fall into when we have this FOMO and we don't really address it properly is that we feel defeatist. We stop doing anything positive. We stop making progress. Because we're like, well, what's the point? So check out the article. I think uh, it's important right now as we are trying to finish the year strong. We got a lot on our plate. We got to be mindful of our health, mindful of our wellness, mindful of how we're treating ourselves. If we're approaching our money and feeling like, oh, I just can't do this, I'm not doing it right, I'm not smart enough, I'm not good enough, I can never do it like that person, you got to recognize that and see, well, what's going on? And the article talks about the questions we should ask ourselves when we experience this. And what is that fear really trying to get us to solve? It can be a constructive thing, but you have to be willing to face it. So check out the piece. Check out Chantelle Chapman from Wednesday, her interview, powerful. On Monday too, if you missed it, we talked about will student loan cancellations help to close the wealth gap? I've been wanting to cover this ever since Biden announced his plan to cancel at least $10,000 in student loan debt for millions of borrowers, also 20,000 for Pell Grant recipients. And the program is mainly expected to help middle-class borrowers, but will it do anything to address the racial wealth gap? My guest is Jean Lee. She is president president and CEO of the Minority Corporate Council Association. All right, let's go to the reviewer of the week and go to the iTunes review section to pick this person who will get a free 15-minute money session with me. This week, we're going to say thank you to Izzy, who left a review on Monday, calling the show timely and relevant. Izzy was recently introduced to the podcast and absolutely loving it. Farnoosh's content and guests are extremely timely and relevant to today's most important financial topics. My favorite episodes are Ask Farnoosh, where it feels like we're catching up while Farnoosh is also answering the variety of money bag questions that come through. 
Thank you so much. And that's exactly it. I try to make this episode a combination of what's going on in Farnoosh's head, plus what you've missed on the show, plus what everybody else has been thinking about with regards to money and their career and investing answered. Izzy, very easy to get in touch. Just send me an email, farnoosh at somoneypodcast.com, or you can direct message me on Instagram at Farnoosh Tarabi. Let me know you left this review. I'll send a link where you can click and find a time for us to connect. Okay, let's go to the recession help desk before we go to the main mailbag. This week, a question that comes from in-house. Yes, my lovely editor, Laura, who edits and proofs all of my work on CNET and the newsletter, by the way, which I'm obsessed with. So make sure you're subscribing to the So Money CNET newsletter. But she's got a question this week and I applaud her for coming forth with it. I think a lot of us are feeling this pain. Here is her question. In the last year, Farnoosh, my 401k has taken a pretty severe beating because the bulk of it is with stocks. Is it wise to transfer my retirement holdings to a stable value fund that is made up of bond investments for a year or maybe longer to prevent further losses and to get some stability and a little interest and then switch it back to a more diverse stock index later? So, you know, here's what I always say when people bring up the unfortunate fact that their portfolio has fallen dramatically in the last year. And I say, you know, those losses aren't really real. They're not realized until you actually cash out. What you are seeing is just arrows on a piece of paper. It's not real losses in your bank account until you actually start to cash out those investments, which you're not going to do, in Laura's case, for another 20 plus years. So she's got time. But I will say this, if you, Laura, or anyone listening are nervous about your exposure to the market, because for whatever reason, your appetite for risk is diminishing, you're in a different stage in your life, or you have more financial responsibilities, you've suddenly become the high earner in your family, and you're a little bit more concerned about conserving your every dollar, including savings and investing. And this is important, and it's been more than 10 years since you have touched your portfolio in terms of changing or adjusting the asset allocation, then it's not a bad time to look at everything again and re-examine. If you're still 80 or 90% invested in stocks, then you may want to consider reducing this and increasing your bond weight, but I think you want to do it in a very measured and thoughtful way. Talk to a financial professional, ask yourself, why am I feeling nervous? Is this just in reaction to what I'm seeing in the news? Or is there something bigger going on in my life that I want to address? That I'm going to make this move, this shift in my allocation, not because I want to see a a brighter six months, but because I want for the next 10, 15 years to approach my portfolio in this way because it's more aligned with who I am today than where I was 10, 15 years ago when I opened up this 401k. I'll end on this. There's a helpful rule of thumb that a lot of financial planners use. And I I like this. It's you take 110, you subtract your age, and that is the target weight for stocks in your portfolio. If you're 30, that's 80% stocks, 20% bonds and cash. If you're 40, that's 70% stocks and then 30% bonds and other sort of safe havens. It's just a rule of thumb again. So please consult with a financial professional before 
remapping, reallocating your asset breakdown in your portfolio. But once you make the decision, you can go online and do this literally within seconds. It's a little too easy, but I want you to do this homework before you do that. All right. Thanks so much, Laura. And let's go to the larger mailbag and see what's on your money mind. We have questions about annuities. Oh, yes. Glorious annuities home equity loans and whether they're wise to use to pay down credit card debt, budgeting advice. First question is from Katie, who got a severance check recently, totaling $35,000. She got it after being let go from her tech company, and she's going to be getting it in a lump sum, she says, close to $35,000. And she says, this is scarier to me than the biweekly checks I expected. Yet I know I also have an opportunity to invest this money. Here's my situation for I'm 35. I'm renting a house with my partner in a high cost of living city. We have no plans to have a family or buy a home. I have a Roth. I have a Roth IRA, a 401k, brokerage account. Total value of all my investments is about $800,000. I also have some stock with the company and a number of options that I have yet to exercise. So clearly my friend Katie here is no stranger to investing. This is fantastic, Katie. Additionally, she has $200,000 liquid sitting in a money market account, originally intended to use this money to buy a house, but after moving in with my partner, we decided that we prefer the flexibility of renting for at least a few years. So she asks, what is your best advice on where to put this severance check? Most importantly, she saves the best for last, I want to take a year or two off from working full time. And I don't want to rely on my partner's money at all. So that is my biggest goal. All right. And she says she's also looked into I-bonds, but has had very unsuccessful time with that. She said, and this is not unusual, sadly, that people try to buy an I-bond online, their form gets rejected for any number of reasons, like you didn't have the right, the right notarization, you uh, had an address change recently and the post office improperly filled out your address, blah, blah, blah. Long story. I get it. I've heard it. There's like a whole story on this in the Wall Street Journal. It's pretty pathetic. So Katie, my advice to you is... Well, first, no advice. I just want to say, well done. Well freaking done. $800,000 in retirement by age 35. And I'm going to guess that's because you had a high paying job in tech that helps, but you also did the really good work of investing and carving out um, some of your income for investing $800,000. And then you have another $200,000 in cash. So you're basically a millionaire let's just let that sink in. Now that you've identified what it is that is important to you, seems like you've identified what's not important to you, which is basically what is important to you. So you don't want to rent, don't want to work full-time at least for at least a year. Figuring out, I think first and foremost, how much that $200,000 can feasibly last you without taking money from your partner, accounting for your expenses for the next one to two years. How much runway do you have? If you realize, you know what? I actually need more cash because I want to take the full two years. I don't want to work at all or I want to work just when I want to and I want to have that financial security. Then maybe this $35,000 does not get invested. It gets added to your liquid savings. I don't know what your monthly expenses are, so it's hard for me to say and do that math, but you can do this math. If you think I have plenty in cash, and I don't want to risk this $35,000 not getting invested, not growing, can compounding and beating inflation. You can put some in the Roth 
and then some of the rest in the individual brokerage account. I want to know though, why don't you want to work full time for the next two years? Like what's going on? You're 35 years old. Are you burnt out? Why two years? We're going to be in a recession, in a real recession, I think this time next year. I mean, we're kind of in one now, but like, I think they're going to call it by this time next year as the job market worsens. Maybe that's a good time to be out of the market because unemployment's going to be higher and it'll be harder to find a job. But I don't know what's what's behind this desire to not work. If I was when I was thirty five, all I wanted to do was work. I wanted to make as much money as possible. My prime earning years as a woman were in my late thirties. So I don't want to miss out on that. So I'm just putting that question out there. You didn't tell me, but maybe follow up because I'd love to talk about that with you. If you have any questions about how to prepare for this, how to think a little bit more critically about the time to take off and what to do with that time off, assuming you do want to get back into the workforce at some point, do you want to transition out of tech, do something else? I'd be curious and I'd love to help you with that. If you don't know the answers to that, you just think, oh, I'm burnt out. I want to be out of the workforce. I would encourage you to sit with that thought for a little bit longer because for every year that you're not working, that will cost you. We've talked about this on the show a lot. So I just want to make sure that you've done the math there to to know what is at stake. There are benefits, but there are also trade-offs. So Katie, good luck. Um, As I said, start with that goal of not working and work your way backwards financially, what will that take? Do you have enough? If not, put the 35K lump sum there, liquid, don't invest it. If you don't need this money for at least another five years, then I'd say you can comfortably put it in the market. You could go splitsies too. You could do 17.5K in savings, 17.5K in investments, boom, done filled both buckets. Next up is SK Matthews 13, who asks on Instagram, Hey Farnoosh, I'm in my mid forties and I'd like to revamp my finances, starting with a good budget. I've totally come from the Dave Ramsey world back in the day. And I was looking for new resources. Do you have a book or resource recommendations for personal finance? Thank you. Appreciate all you do. All right, well, I'm going to focus on budget-specific resources, and I have a few people that you may want to start following or people and and their systems. So there's You Need a Budget, YNAB. Uh, I think it's sort of the modern day budget. It's like you want to assign a purpose, a job to every single dollar. If you're meticulous, if you're really organized, if you don't want to waste a single dollar, then you need a budget is right for you. I hear from people who use it. They love it. Some people don't like it because they it's too rigid. Like they don't really want to get that detailed with a budget. But if you are detail oriented, you can follow them on Instagram as well. Uh, The program is not free, although I think there's a free trial. So you can check out You Need a Budget or YNAB. Budget Mom has been on this podcast. She is huge on the YouTube. So if you're a YouTube person, very visual, I recommend following Budget Mom. Also, Allison Baggerly is uh, the creator of Inspired Budget. She and her husband got out of a lot of debt. They're really, really passionate about budgeting. She posts online a lot and she has a book coming out. So you can look out for her book. I think Budget Mom has a book as well. So whether you're looking to read something, watch something. Allison has a podcast as well. There's a lot of different ways to get the information. And depending on the type of budgeter you are or tend to be, you might find yourself in one of these folks. 
Okay, next up is Julie. Hello, Farnoosh. I watched your video on the skim and I was curious about your views on annuities in addition to all the other investment options. I'm well diversified and set for retirement, but I'm seeking new options for money I'm making now. Thanks. All right, Julie. Well, thanks so much for tuning in to The Skim. I'm going to put that link in our show notes. Everybody can watch that video that I did. Uh, I was invited by The Skim to teach an investing course. It was a lot of fun. It was live uh, last week, but they recorded it and it's free available for everybody to watch. I did not get into annuities. We only had about 30 minutes to teach and then we reserved 30 minutes for questions. And honestly, if I even had three hours, I don't know if I would get to annuities because in my world, I don't see these as generally necessary. Um, I think annuities are specific cases where annuities make sense for people. Uh, they can be pretty expensive. And you know a lot of us have a hard enough time just investing in the 401k and the IRA. So annuities are a very, are, are much more later stage concept for retirement planning and you know nothing against them per se, other than they're pretty expensive, but let's get into it here. So simply put, annuities are a combination of insurance products and investment products. What happens is you agree to a contract with an insurance company that says you're going to pay a lump sum upfront or a series of payments over time, monthly usually. In return, the insurance company then pays you retirement income, either all at once or through a steady flow of payments beginning at a future date, usually around 59 and a half, like when your 401k uh, becomes available for withdrawals. There are no limits to how much can be invested. There's fixed annuities and variable annuities, kind of like insurance. Fixed annuities have a minimum interest rate and a guaranteed principal. Variable annuities work like a mutual fund and they get invested in the financial market. There's more risk with that, of course. After choosing whether you want a variable or a fixed rate annuity, you can elect for an immediate or deferred payment schedule. Like I said earlier, the money invested accumulates with interest over time, and then it gets paid back to you in installments, again, typically at retirement. There are tax benefits to annuities. That's probably the most attractive advantage. You're only taxed when you withdraw the money. Downsides, just like with 401ks, there are early withdrawal penalties. If you take the money out before maturity, then you may be subject to what's a surrender charge. And that's a lot of money. It's like 7% of the value of the investment. Um, there are also some hidden fees to watch out for, administrative, management, signup costs, and those can be so high that they ultimately outweigh the tax perks. So you have to be really careful when you invest in an annuity. I would say that this isn't something that new investors should look into. First, take advantage of something like a 401k at work or your IRAs. Annuities are sort of an addition to uh, what you've already got. And so frankly, you do need to have some disposable income for this. It's, it's like extra um, and certainly I think I can see the benefits, a fixed annuity in particular, where you kind of know what the guaranteed benefit's going to be. That's nice because there are no financial guarantees in retirement, it's, it feels like. So a lot of people love this for that reason. If you want security, you could look into it. Stay curious. All right. Sophia wants to know about HELOCs and whether to use a HELOC to pay off her credit card debt. So here's her question. Hey, Farnoosh, I'm a wife and a mom of two. I took off work to be a stay-at-home mom for a few years. I re-entered the workforce in 2020. I ran up a lot of consumer debt as a result, about $40,000. I'm trying to get back on track with a 401k and paying off this debt. How would you recommend taking out a home equity loan to pay off my credit cards? Thank you for this time. Thank you. 
All right. So it's not actually a HELOC. It's a home equity loan, which is different from a HELOC. A HELOC would be like another big credit card revolving line of credit. And that interest rate could go up uh, like a credit card. And we know, of course, with the Fed raising rates, that is likely your future. A home equity loan offers a single lump sum that has to be paid back within a time period, usually a fixed rate, or else you, or you can at least ask for that and, and apply for that. And I would say that if you're going to do this, Sophia, that whatever loan you get, it is a fixed rate because the benefit of doing this, one of them, is that you won't have a fluctuating payment. Right now, you're $40,000 in debt, which means that unless you pay off this balance tomorrow in full, you're going to have minimum payments every month for the foreseeable future, which will be subject to rising rates. Uh, Credit cards have variable rates, as we know. And so if you want to make that more steady, lock it in and consolidate this over to a home equity loan, then so be it. Of course, we know the risks. The underlying asset is your home. So if you miss a payment on the home equity loan, uh, it could compromise your home ownership. The other things you might want to think about instead of this is perhaps, I mean, $40,000 is a pretty big balance. So you might not be able to do this with one of these kinds of cards, but there are those 0% interest rate credit cards, at least the ones that the ones that offer like a 12 to 15 month 0% interest rate. It's a balance transfer card or a zero interest credit card. You can transfer this debt or part of it over to one of these cards, start paying it down aggressively, zero interest, but you have a ticking clock. So you have to be able to do this within 15 months or then the interest rate resets to the market rate. And then you might be back where you are today. So maybe not a silver bullet, but something to think about maybe for some of that debt. Ultimately, if you can find a fixed rate loan, whether that's a HELOC or some other kind of loan to then transfer this balance, start paying down that balance with a lower carrying cost, it's a win just be aware of some of the risks. And you might want to also look at a balance transfer credit card and take advantage of those 0% rates for while you can. And that's our show, everybody. Thanks so much for tuning in. Thank you, Sophia and Julie, SK Matthews, Katie, and of course, my editor, Laura, for her recession help desk question. I'll be back here on Monday with a brand new episode. Until then, I hope your day is so money.